Cambridge Breakfast with Mr and Mrs Clark's Gallery. Contemporary art in Cambridge from Hockney, Hurst and Warhol. Cambridge 105 Radio. Over Christmas on Cambridge 105 Radio, you can hear a new adaptation of Charles Dickens' classic, A Christmas Carol. It's been... Now, I'm trying to work out... Dr Sean Lang is here. Sean, is it adapted or is it written? Adapted. Adapted. Adapted, adapted I think I would have to say. And I guess there's been a few adaptations o- yeah. over the years. Have you, have you done anything special? To, to this in particular, just to yeah, a little make bit, it distinctive. Nothing to frighten the horses. It is very clearly Dickens's work, but I've sort of worked in little references to other Dickens' works uh, in there as well, uh, which I think you know you, you you pick up some of the characters' names and some of the little bits of the script. Um, just to, and also just a couple of bits. I mean, I can give an example um, where the turkey comes from because uh, which I sort of just put in a bit of the social history so um, in working class families would save all year for their Christmas dinner and there were what were called Christmas clubs which you had with the local butcher uh, in order to afford the goose or the turkey or whatever and that was a nice ex- example of sort of economies, local economy, you know, the, the, the sort of uh, economising that families had to do. And I just sort of added little touches of that in to, to give it that extra Victorian flavour. It's interesting, isn't it? The Christmas clubs, I guess, and I sort of vaguely remember yeah. things like this going on, um, you know, 1970s, but which kind of evolved into the original co-op stamps, yes. which in a way is... Not that different from the Tesco Club Card and other Indeed, yeah. and other yeah. other schemes like yeah. it, really. I know yeah. lots of people use Tesco, lots of mm. supermarkets do it, of course, these days. But using you know whatever they can, uh, gaming the system on the points in order to, yeah, to uh, get right. more yeah. at Christmas. Absolutely, um, and I mean Dick Dickens was. This is one of his very early works. He'd written Pickwick Papers, and then it's a Christmas Carol. Um, and he's a young, ang- he's just sort of angry young man writing, and. Um, the, How old would he have been when he wrote this? Uh, I think, well, he's in his 30s. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, in fact, I'm not even sure he'd, he'd hit 30. I'm just trying to think, um, because he's born in the 1810s, about 18... In, in the 10s. Yeah, okay. Um, and um, he'd been a political journal, a sort of political reporter. Because he was editor of The of, Times for about three um, years, wasn't he, at one, and, and at one point? Of, yes, I mean, there's a lot of the, uh, you know, the, the Times and Punch and things like this are very angry newspapers in this sort of early Victorian times. And, and A Christmas Carol, um, there is a sort of anger in there. You see it in the famous bit about the uh, the two sort of ghastly children that the Christ- that goes to Christmas present has got on, you know, and uh, uh, the, the, there's a sort of anger about the treatment of the poor. And although obviously it's a heartwarming story of Scrooge's redemption, but the Scrooge type is someone who, again, you know, you, you could otherwise feel very angry with. So, um, and there's admiration for the poor, and the Cratchits are the whole point is that they're un- you know they're unfortunate, but they don't they're not sorry for themselves and. I wanted to get a little touch of that into it. On the subject of those angry children, by a happy coincidence, we have, uh, or, or possibly not, we have a, a clip, and, um, well, let, let's have a listen, and then Sean will unpick it for us. Spirit, beneath your robe, what is it, a, a foot or a claw? It might be a claw, for the flesh there is upon it. Behold, this haggard girl, this wretched boy. What are they? Are they yours? Not my creation. Yours. They cling to me as their only hope. Yet you, and others like you, bred them. This boy is ignorance. This girl 
is want. Look on them. Look. Beware them both and all their kind. But most of all, beware this boy. For on his brow I see written that which is doom, unless the writing be erased. Deny it if you can. But know that they will follow you through life, unless you turn and see them. And seeing them, tend them. That's quite powerful, actually, just Isn't listening it? to yeah. that, that short sequence. And the way, I guess the way the ghosts are used, uh, Dickens bringing them in to each give a slightly different perspective on yeah. the story. Then um, I was going to say they're not cuddly, I'm because there's a sense in which the ghost of Christmas present is, is quite a, a sort of cuddly Father Christmas type of figure, but there's a, it's a sort of steel in there as well, and it really comes out in that bit. And um, there's... Uh, the, the two children are called Ignorance and Want. And I th- and he says, particularly beware this boy, which is ignorance, you see. And I sort of added that into the play, the couple of bits where Scrooge is uh, saying, and you think he's about to say, I spoke in haste. And what he actually says, I spoke in ignorance. Because the whole point about Scrooge is that he is very wealthy. Um, uh, you know, he's a man of the business world, but he's a deeply ignorant man. And he doesn't see the world which is literally under his nose as he goes through the streets and the nose, you know, the, his nose in the sense of the of his clerk's um, life. Um, he knows, you know, he knows his clerk has got a family. He doesn't know anything about them. Um, and it's, it takes the ghost to reveal exactly what what Bob Cratchit is dealing with. So Scrooge is a sort of he's sort of blind, he's ignorant, and the what the ghosts do is open his eyes, and and they open his eyes to what is actually all around him. So although we often think of you know the, the Christmas past, of course he knows his own past because he was you know it's his, it's his past the only bit he doesn't know is the future um because you know, no one does know the future but actually the ghost of christmas present is not telling him anything new it's simply making him see what's what's there all the time mm-hmm. tell me how how did you come to do this adaptation in the in the in the first instance, I could tell you this. This is quite a story. This I was <laughs> as uh, the one or two things have happened in this way. I was walking through Anglia Ruskin University, you know, through the building, minding my own business, when um, a colleague of mine called Naz Yeni, who is actually in in the uh, in the play, um, but who is a very talented theatre director, and indeed I've been in one of hers. But that again was when I was walking through the <laughs> through minding my own business and stayed your office a lot safer. When <laughs> Absolutely, yes, yes. I'm not going, not going out again. Anyway, she stopped me, and she said, uh, I think, and she actually literally said, she said, I think you ought to write a version of A Christmas Carol, um, because I, I think you should play Scrooge, you see. And um, that sort of struck me, because no one had suggested that before. Um, and it so happened, this was on a Friday, it so happened that over the weekend I had a sort of, uh, a sort of academic article thing to write. Um, and uh, so I thought, well... Let's see if I can write it quickly. So over that weekend, I had this mad weekend of writing this adaptation and at the same time writing this academic article which was about the difference between school history, history at school and history at university uh, and swapping between the two. So when I'd sort of done a bit of Dickens and felt I needed to go back to the other article and started on that, you know... Went take, a break. <laughs> take a break. Take a break. Dickens, you see. It's a mad, mad weekend. I got them both done. And so I, I sent her the, the... This is for a stage... Um, adaptation. So I sent her the script on the Monday. Um, 
And then you said to me, <laughs> said to me, are we doing anything, you know, are you doing anything for Christmas? Uh, you know, as in, you know, for the station. And because, of course, the last three Christmases, um, I've, I've done, um, I did that one about the Victorian Christmas, which was sort of reading as an extract and things like that. Then I did a similar thing about um, Cambridge Christmas in the Second World War. And then last year we did that little documentary about when Christmas was cancelled in Oliver Cromwell's time. I like that um, one. Yeah, but I like the ball. Yeah, I really yeah, 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 like yeah, Cromwell. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that was more like a documentary. Um, and and, uh, but of course, they do take a bit of work and preparation. You see, so for a moment, my heart sank. And I thought, well, wait a minute, I've got this. I've just adapted a Christmas Carol. It's sitting in, you know, sitting in the, on my desk, as it were. Um, why don't I, I try and adapt that further for radio? So it is it's a stage play, and the idea is indeed that we we, we want to do that um, next Christmas. But uh, uh, so so I had that and uh, and cut it down. And of course, with radio, um, there are all sorts of things that you you can do uh, with with effects and uh, and, what, and what have you, which are but in a sense easier to do than in the theatre. But the big challenge with radio is the time, um, because, you know, you have news and head- headlines. Well, and this is the thing, it's like an, an hour here was 56 minutes and 30 Absolutely, seconds. Absolutely, yes. So, uh, so and, and the idea was to get it within the hour, um, uh, whereas, of course, on the stage, I think the, the version I, I wrote would be about... My guess would be about an hour and a half. Um, so the idea was to cut to get it right down without losing anything important and keep you know adding in these little extra elements that I wanted to uh, within about fifty six minutes. And I think we managed it. And we recorded yeah. it in your house. We did, yes. Um, which it, kind of takes me back. There was this production which the BBC did, I think, possibly a good twenty years ago now, of Bleak House. Yes, and um, it was almost in, in the way that I think some of the early Dickens mm. was written and serialised yes. in. In publication, oh, in the same yeah. in the same yeah. way, say Sherlock Holmes yeah. was, yeah. Um, and the BBC almost like turned Bleak House not quite into EastEnders, but it had you know, it was cam- sort of camera episodes, which yes. moved. It was like twice <laughs> yeah. a week. It yeah. was it was brilliant, it was and it kind of it kind of felt instead of taking it out of the radio studio yes. and effectively putting it on location. This is what we did. Ma- um, made it feel a different different feel to it. My, my, my house is a, is a Victorian one. Uh, it's, a, it's, a very sm- it's a very small house. Uh, it's in a little sort of terrace um, up, a, up a lane in Sawston. And, um, but, so we've got things like wooden floors and um, you know, the, the, the sort of low ceilings and things like that, which, yes, it did. It gave, uh, it gave just the right sort of feel. And, of course, we could use things outside and uh, it's quite secluded, so you don't have traffic noise um, you know, going up and down outside the house or anything like that. And so, yes, it, it worked very well. Um, at least I thought. <laughs> Let's see what Let's listeners do. think. Um, and, and, uh, but it certainly made for an atmosphere. I'll, I'll just say one thing, because when we did... Uh, we, we didn't, of course, record it in order, because we were recording, you know, what the stuff we're going to do outside, then the stuff we're going to do in, the, in this room, and then the stuff we're going to do in that room, and so on. Um, so it so happened that Marley's ghosts... Um, scene, which, although it's quite early on in the, in the play, uh, we recorded quite late in, in the day. And uh, it's just the the way we had it was that Richard Perkis, who was playing Marley's ghost, and, and I were sort of in one room, and then uh, everyone else in the cast was it's a sort of open plan thing was in, you know, gathered in the kitchen area, so they could hear everything. And it was spellbinding because Richard's uh, performance and the voice that he put on was it just sort of filled the room, and it was really quite creepy. Um, and everyone, of course, was listening, and there's something about the listening, and it just made for an atmosphere. And actually, that was like being in the theatre. Um, that it, it was a, a very, very powerful moment, and I think it works very, very powerfully on in, you know in the uh, in the radio adaptation as well. So you know, if you're sort of thinking, oh, he has, has he jazzed it up? No, I haven't jazzed it up. You know, it's very. I mean, Dick. I think we can be fairly sure Dickens. Uh, well, <laughs> I 
like we to think like Dickens think would have liked it. <laughs> <laughs> um, certainly, it's it's true to him and to to uh, to his time as well. Um, but it's it's a, just as I say, it's just got that I think a little sort of extra layer, uh, which I think makes it makes it very satisfying. Yeah, and wonderfully yeah. executive produced by Trevor Dan. Absolutely, as well. yes, um, it really, really was done. Yes, yeah, it's, he's done a tremendous job. Lots of lots of versions of A Christmas Carol over the years. Do you have a favourite? Be now, it a film everyone, or stage? But everyone always comes up with the Muppets one. You say, well, but I'm going to put that in a category of its own. Um, <laughs> I do have a favourite, um, you know, though that I'm very conscious. I don't, I'm not sure I've seen all of the ones. Um, the Alice Sim one uh, from the gosh, 1950s or even 40s, I think, uh, is is the classic one. I watched it again recently, and it's very interesting. They give some of the backstory, for example, about how he first meets Marley, and uh, you actually get to know Marley. And, and Scrooge and Marley are not nice. Um, they put Fizzywig out of business, for example. Um, it's very interesting that you know he, they. The, not, it's not taking liberty. It's simply filling in um, some of you know some of the gaps as it were in Dickens' story. It's a more interesting one than perhaps people remember. Uh, if you just remember this, you know, the, it is about. I, I saw. I didn't see it said. I, I saw it listed somewhere yesterday when I was looking for something else. So it it is around. Oh yes, we found yes, on the streaming is, yes, services. Yes, it is, yes. Um, but the, my particular, I have a particular a favorite um, you know, fondness for one with Patrick Stewart as Scrooge. Yes, um, which uh, I. Th- Think, I think you can find it now. For a long time, it was difficult to find, and I think that again, was I think I, I think reasons, again, I, I think I might have yeah. spied that one as, as as well. Yeah, but that was the, that I thought was particularly um, um, effective, and I thought he was a very good Scrooge. Um, one I hear very good things of the Christopher Eccleston one on stage in London at the moment, um, and apparently he's really uh, sort of found his tr- his true inner self in playing Scrooge by the sound of it. So uh, maybe that would be a Christmas treat. That's good. Yeah. Well, Sean, thank you very much for coming in. If you want to listen. To to A Christmas Carol. It is on Christmas Eve at six o'clock and you'll also be able to find it on the Cambridge 105 radio website and radio player app around that time as well. Uh, it is a good lesson, so um, I do so. Sean, thanks for thanks Thank for working you. on it. Thanks for coming in this morning. Oh, and Merry Christmas as well. Merry Christmas. Yes. It's uh, 23 after 8. Cambridge Breakfast with Mr and Mrs Clark's Gallery. Contemporary art in Cambridge from Kusama, Emin and Riley. Cambridge 105 Radio.